where the solutions and the fixes will save you money and are obvious and everyone agrees on them and you're not doing them. Do you hate transparency? Are you incompetent? Or is there something else at play? Because I'm out of explanation. Welcome to Uncommons. I'm Nate Erskine-Smith, and I'm joined on this episode by journalist Justin Ling, who has, for years now, been pointing out that our access to information system is increasingly broken. It might seem odd to have this conversation mid-pandemic, but as our government outlays hundreds of billions of dollars to support individuals and businesses in need, to develop sector-specific support, to develop and deliver vaccines, among many other expenditures, robust transparency and accountability systems are also critical. Or, in the words of Canada's Information Commissioner, openness and transparency in government has never been more important than it is during this pandemic. And while it is perhaps a little backwards for a member of parliament to interview a journalist, who better than a regular user of the access to information system to explain why this conversation matters and why our government needs to take this more seriously? Justin, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. So, okay, a year ago, you write an article in The Walrus, Canada, good at bureaucracy, bad at transparency. As an opening salvo, how badly broken is our access to information system? Really, really, like horribly, fantastically, incredibly broken. I should say, normally I wouldn't agree to go on an MP's podcast. For a journalist, that's the wrong way around, right? You're supposed to come on our podcast and answer our dumb questions. And and the reverse just feels weird. I said yes, in large part because this is a file where we, the journalists, are coming to you and asking you for something, you, the politician, for something that lets us do our job. And to date, the Trudeau government has been actively hostile and actively bad for our ability to do our job and to basically ferret out information from the federal government. Since the Access to Information Program was started, it's been in decline. Things have tightened up. Exemptions to the access have been abused. Timelines have gone off the rails. And departments have acted with impunity basically to withhold information that under the Access to Information Act is supposed to be accessible to the public. Now, Trudeau didn't create that problem, but the situation has gotten exponentially worse in the last five years. I don't know if that's because of the Liberal Party being in government or it's incidental and it would have happened regardless of who was in power, but I know for sure that things are really direly bad And they need to be fixed or else we're going to lose a vital lifeline that we really need in order to keep, you know, covering the government effectively. When you talk about a vital part of our democracy, really, can you give some examples for those who maybe think access to information? Why is this even important? Why is this something I should be pushing my elected officials to to, to act on? Do you have some standout examples of, of why this system is so important? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think people know it by different names. You might know it by access to information or ATIP. Lots of people, if you're more familiar with the provincial level or the U.S. government, you talk about FOIA or FOIs or freedom of information requests. I don't think people actually understand how this process works, but it's not terribly complicated. You know, the Access to Information Act says that anybody in the country, if they're willing to pay $5, can fill out a form and say, I want this government document, this email or memo or briefing note or spreadsheet or instant message or whatever. 
the promise of that is incredible. I mean, you know, the Access Information Act has been vital in the way in which we cover government. I mean, think back to Bevoda, the one-time uh, international development minister. We found out that she had interfered in a grant that was supposed to go to a faith-based charity in order to basically withhold their funding because she didn't like the politics. The Access to Information Act told us about that. You know, at the very beginning of my career, when I was a nobody and no one knew who I was, I used the Access to Information Act to obtain a series of briefing notes and, and, and basically meeting minutes that then Foreign Affairs Minister John Baird had had with ministers and dignitaries from various countries, pressuring them to vote against Palestine's bid for a statehood designation of the United Nations. You know, I've used the Access to Information Act to uncover the financial background of a unconstitutional spying program. Others have used it to get details about investigations into foreign extremism, foreign meddling in our politics, you name it. On, on just about any major file in this country, the Access to Information Act has been a vital tool in helping us to better understand the story. And that's everything from uncovering wrongdoing, which does happen, but it also just helps to understand the government's thinking on a lot of matters. In some cases, the government doesn't want to come out and say, we're doing this thing for this reason, because that would be awkward, and in some cases, embarrassing. But you know, these Access to Information Acts help us understand why governments came to certain decisions. So it's not just about embarrassing governments either, or you know, ferreting out secrets. In some cases, it's just giving necessary background on sort of day-to-day -day decisions made in Ottawa. But there is a necessary accountability function, both for journalists, but also even for opposition members of other political parties. You've described Kafka-esque episodes, that they are not bugs of the system, but features of it. When we look at both timelines, but also redactions, are there astounding examples you would point to to say, here, the system is broken? So I don't think there is a person out there in Canada who uses the federal access information system who doesn't have some horror story of dealing with the exemptions, the delays, the refusals, the skullduggery. There are requests out there that have been outstanding for me for four or five years. Which for context, the timeline in the act states 30 days. 30 days. And, and, and we know statistically that departments are extending and extending those timelines constantly. Departments are consistently failing to meet that 30-day threshold. And, you know, if it were 60 days, that's, that's not great. It's fine. We're not seeing 60 days. We're seeing 90, 160, 270 days. And in some cases, departments just don't respond, right? So, you know, I have a litany of unfulfilled requests that I will get a response to say we're working on it. And then I will follow up, no answer, I'll follow up, no answer. Two years goes by. Maybe I've already filed a complaint about it, but complaints don't get resolved in any time or manner either. Two years goes by. I don't get an email from an access to information officer saying, do you still want those documents? And I'll say, yes. And they'll say, well, it'll be another year. This, <laughs> is, this is the reality of the system. And it's remarkable because it's not just journalists who use the system. It, it's academics. It's independent researchers. Uh, it's lawyers. Lawyers actually are probably the biggest single group who uses this system. Believe it or not, Immigration Canada fields 66% of all access to information requests 
because there's no good way of getting information about refugee and immigration claimants out to their lawyers. So their lawyers have to result to the Access Information Act to get those records, which is mind boggling. But put that aside, you know, corporations use it to get backgrounds on government regulatory making. I've heard of ministerial staffers using the access information request system just to understand what the department is doing as they make requests of the department. So, you know, I'm thinking back to John Baird's office, who's foreign affairs minister. They used to say to the department, we need you to go do X. And then it would take a little long and it would not, and the department would come back and say, oh, we can't do that properly. So John Baird's office would file access information requests for the emails of them deliberating on doing this. So this system is used by a, a, a really wide cross-section of the country. And the more this breaks down, the more those delays lengthen, the more these, these requests are refused or just dropped altogether, the more a lot of those systems break down. You know, the harder it is for immigration lawyers to get information about their clients, the harder it is for businesses to interact with the federal government, you know, the harder it is for researchers and academics to, to understand thinking on really nuanced and, and niche issues, and the harder it is for us to hold the government to account and not just, you know, I'm not just talking about the federal government, you know, the prime minister, but every agency, every crown corporation from the CBC to the Bridge Commission, they're all subject to the Access Information Act. And when the entire system is falling apart and when the standards just go by the wayside, then it's carte blanche for all of those crown corporations and agencies to just ignore us altogether and say, yeah, take it up with the information commissioner. And you mentioned that the problems in some cases have been pointed to almost immediately from the act being created, but they've gotten progressively worse. Now, in 2015, our liberal party, my liberal party, they said in the 2015 platform, we said at least transparent government is good government. If we want Canadians to trust their government, we need a government that trusts Canadians. And we committed to making information open by default in formats that are modern and easy to use, to empower the information commissioner, to eliminate filing fees, to importantly expand the Access to Information Act to additional offices, including ministers and the prime minister's office. It actually builds in some ways on the prime minister's own commitments as an individual member of parliament. He introduced what he called the Transparency Act. I recall studying this as a member of the Ethy Committee and going through this before we got to legislative review of then C-58. Not only do we not fulfill our commitments, but I guess walk me through just how far short of our commitments we have fallen. So listen, I'm not being self-aggrandizing when I say that there was not many other people in the country who use the access information system as much as I do. I was trying to, to tabulate this the other day, but over the course of my career, I definitely made in the high hundreds, probably the low thousands of information requests for all manner of things spanning this government, the previous government, provincial government, cities, police forces, you name it. So I'm very incredibly familiar with the system. I am such a broken and annoying record on this that in 2015, when uh, you're just ahead of the 2015 general election, the Liberal Party reached out to me and said, hey, Justin Trudeau is announcing his new transparency platform. Would you like to sit down and chat with him about it? We'll give you the exclusive. And I said, he's a leader of the third party. Let me check my calendar. Okay, fine. I'll make some time for Trudeau. So we sit down and you know, we have this long conversation about transparency and access to information and open government. And, and at one point he says, you know, what I'm going to do is make the access to information system apply to ministers' offices, including my office. And my automatic response was, why would anyone believe you? I, I believe you're earnest in saying this now, but when 
politicians take power, they don't tend to like those sort of transparency measures that impact them, right? You know, why should I actually believe that I'm ever going to get access to your emails? And Justin Trudeau, then, then leader of the third party, says, well, if I'm writing anything in my emails that I don't want the public to see, I shouldn't be writing them. And I'm promising you, I'm going to expand the access information system to include my office. Well, fast forward to him taking power, his then government proceeds to go on a consultation with Canadians, you know, canvassing all manner of journalism and, and rights groups and transparency groups and so on and so forth. And they come out with this report. It's called What We Heard, you know, the results of the consultation with Canadians. And immediately I knew something was wrong because all manner of potential reforms had just fallen by the wayside. This summary of the consultations started talking about things like declining vexatious requests, which nobody has a real concern about. I've ne- I had never heard about that concern prior to this report. Starts talking about you know more proactive disclosure, which is good, but is has nothing to do with the access to information regime. Proactive disclosure, we can talk about that later, but totally different thing. I'm starting to get this feeling like I don't think the government's going to follow through. So you know, a- about a year and a half into their mandate, they you know your party, the Liberal government, releases Bill C58, which I think if you follow this closely, if you are in this class of like Uber access nerds like I am and a handful of other journalists are, it was shocking. To just run through it really quickly, it made it easier for for departments to refuse requests, to just say, nope, we're not answering it. It gave the information commissioner some power to order the disclosure of documents, but put all sorts of caveats and limits on it. And it did something really pernicious in that it claimed to expand the access to information system two ministers' offices, including the prime minister's office, but not to make access to information requests. It basically just said, well, now those offices are subject to proactive disclosure laws, which they already in many respects were. C-58 basically proved that, the go- that, that Justin Trudeau was lying this whole time. The government had no intention of ever letting us see their, their emails or ministerial documents, and that it didn't really care about fixing the system. You know, we're five years on. And there have been some minor changes that have been good, but overall, the health of the system, it's hard to even say how bad it is because it was almost on death's door in 2015. Now it's almost unusable. It is, it's to the point where I think in the next year, it would be better off if we just shut it down. I don't think the system is working now. And the fact that the government can sit there and pretend like it's accountable and transparent and is willing to hand over information is almost more obnoxious than just shutting the whole thing down. So far from shutting the whole thing down, you write on Twitter a couple of months ago, a few months ago, underfunding, technological constraints, and a broken act are nobody's fault but their own there being the current government. Now, fair to point fingers, I think, as far as it goes, and especially in keeping with the promises we've made. But if we want to get at the specific reforms to improve the system, which I'm keen on. And I sat through a boatload of evidence that told me this in the course of the FD committee, because we have a report from 2016 that laid out a number of recommendations. But walk me through those three categories. So let's start with funding. Yeah. How, how much more money is really required to make this system function? 
a great question because I actually am not sure we need to spend that much more money. You know, I think a knee-jerk reaction to all of this is, sure, transparency is great, but it's really expensive and we have limited resources right now. And I get that. I think the inf information commissioner needs long-term dedicated funding. The information commissioner cannot even remotely get through the number of complaints they get in a year. They desperately need more staff, more resources, and long-term dependable resources, not just random you know, envelopes full of cash when, you know, when they need it the most. A lot of departments don't staff their information units adequately. And it's actually understandably so. It's a big ask to even have one dedicated staff person to handle access to information requests. So years ago, when the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was still ongoing, there was litigation between the Harper government and the, and the TRC. And I filed an access to information request to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission asking for a bunch of legal documents. I got a phone call from the TRC and one of the staffers goes, listen, we got your request. We appreciate it. Understandable. You should get those documents. But here's the thing. We don't have an access to information officer. For us to answer your request, we'd have to take one of our staff people who's handling testimony from uh, residential school survivors, pull them off of that, and just put them on answering your request. And I went, that's horrible. Don't do that. And they said, well, how about you just close the request, the request and we'll just send you all the documents anyway. And I said, that sounds great. But the reality is a lot of departments don't have that luxury. You know, if, if you are a small five, six, seven person agency of the government of Canada, it's a big ask to have you know, dedicated staff or just for access to information requests. So I think there is a very good argument to be made, and some governments in Canada and elsewhere have done this, to centralize access to information requests, to have a single body of analysts that can handle requests for the whole government or something along those lines. It's going to require some investment. It's going to require some changes. It's going to require some transition. But right now, we're, sat, we're basically duplicating a lot of work. We have you know, entire teams of access specialists in all of these different departments of varying degrees of skill, of varying degrees of seriousness. Many of them, you know, these staffers come and go every three months. Many of them are outsourced to third-party consulting firms. So this is not a perfect situation. And if anything, we might be spending too much money on it right now. So I think there's a lot to be said about fixing staffing and fixing resourcing here. But beyond that, it's also required we spend some money updating our system. And this goes into the, the next piece you mentioned, which was technology. For years and years and years, the baseline was that you had to file all of your access to information requests by mail or by fax. There were really no other options. You paid by check, or if you're me, you paid in coins out of a form of protest. But, you know, it was a snail mail system that continued, it actually continues today. Correctional Services Canada only accepts requests via mail, which is unbelievable. It's 2020. And there is now an online request portal. But here's the problem. A lot of departments have not joined it. They're supposed to be joining by, I think, the end of this year, but it still hasn't happened in many respects. There's actually two competing portals, one run by Citizenship and Immigration Canada, one run by the Treasury Board, and it's never quite clear who's on what. And that's only for the front end. That's just literally to take in a, you know, a couple paragraphs of text and to pay for a $5 fee and then send it to the department. Once you get to the department, every single department runs a different information management software that handles requests differently, redacts them differently, sends them from department to department, or from staffer to staffer differently, and sends them out to the, the requester differently. Often, the requests are sent either photocopied or on CD-ROM. 
Who uses CD-ROMs anymore? It's unbelievably frustrating. Most departments refuse to send requests via email, citing security, even though in this day and age, email is way more secure than the CD-ROM. And a lot of that stems from the fact that we have all these disparate information management systems that don't talk to each other. The government for years has been saying it's looking for a new system that's going to centralize all that work, but we still haven't seen it. It's going to require spending a bit of money to make an efficiency here so that we don't have all these different competing software platforms. And that actually, you know, that will require an upfront investment, but I think will actually save us money over the long term if for no other reason, then it's going to eventually become hard to find CD-ROM. On the technology side, it seems fairly straightforward then, which is to require that all departments participate in that online portal to take in, make sure that everything can be done electronically for the take-in process, but also that as we committed to in 2015, and as we recommended as an EPI committee, that when the information is ultimately produced, that is produced in an updated, modern format that is easy to read and away we go. The other thing I would say, I don't know how often requests are duplicated, but you think there would be a portal where if you've requested information and it has been made public, then it would be easily searchable for others to find as well. Here's a good thing the government has done is that they have created that portal. There is now a portal where you can search for previously released access information requests, but there's a but. Many departments are either not participating or incredibly slow to upload the previously released request. There is a form where you can go and say, I want this previously released ATIP, but oftentimes you don't get a response. In the past little while, I have gotten responses where the department has said, sorry, we're not gonna send that to you. I've gotten delays. Some departments say it'll take a couple months to send that to you, which is unbelievable because they've already sent it out. There should be no delay. And this, this whole informal request is not subject to the Information Act, so you can complain to the commissioner. So there's really no guarantee you'll actually get those requests at all. It's another example where the government sort of does these knee-jerk things to say, oh, well, we'll do more project disclosure and we'll make it easier for you to get previously released requests. But there's no funding or mandate or requirement behind it. And they're letting each department do kind of whatever they want to. So you're having this unbelievably uneven access to this information that in effect means the, the promise of this right is, is meaningless. To backtrack to the staffing question and to this idea of centralizing the ATIP function, I was in Washington a few years ago, but it was after we'd done the legwork of the report at EFI, and I was meeting with DOJ officials in Washington and on the civil liberties side, and they described a process to me in the United States where they effectively embed civil liberties officers that report back to DOJ, but in specific agencies. And those agents are therefore independent of the office in which they work. And so it's not that there's an ATIP coordinator, if we take it into the ATIP context, the ATIP coordinator in, say, CBSA wouldn't report up the line within CBSA, but would report back to a centralized ATIP office. That may work better than the model that we have right now. Hey, listen, I, I, am, I am far from dogmatic about what exact reform has to look like. You know, I'm pretty open to ideas. I'm not telling the government how to staff this appropriately or how to reform the organizational structure. That's their job. But I can tell you, whatever the U.S. is doing, it's working much better. You know, for all of the expansiveness of the U.S. government, I'm not going to say it's every single department and agency, but everyone I've ever dealt with and in every case I've ever heard of, you know, here's how it works in the U.S. You go online to their FOI page. There's an email that says FOI coordinator. You open up the email, you say, 
I want these emails and these documents. No fee, no portal, no nothing. They come back to you and say, we'll get on that. You know, it's not perfect. Listen, especially under Donald Trump, a lot of this, these processes broke down and were under attack and un- understaffed and so on. So I'm not going to say it's perfect. But in the cases I've dealt with, police agencies, state governments, the federal government, federal agencies have gone back and sent me the request, the, the things I've requested, in some cases in XLS or CSV format. So, you know, a spreadsheet, basically, yeah. in searchable PDFs or in Word documents. There's no fee. You know, they come not fast, but relatively quickly. And there's no fighting or, or complaints to some information commissioner. And what's really, really powerful about the U.S. system, and I think ultimately what makes it incredible, is that if the department or the agency ignores you or takes too long or refuses to release information or redacts it overly generously, you can sue them, which is you know, the ultimate power when it comes to these processes. You know, I have a colleague, a former colleague of mine named Jason Leopold, who works for BuzzFeed News now who spends his year just suing U.S. departments for information. Through those lawsuits, they've obtained you know, incredibly important information about the Mueller investigation, about the Russia probe, about the Trump administration's ties to the Russian government. I think the New York Times has done a tremendous job of unveiling information about payments to the Trump organization from the U.S. government. So you know, the fact that they can use the courts to actually enforce their right to access is incredibly powerful. We, by and large, do not have that right in this country. If, Generally speaking, if you want to go to the courts, you have to go to the federal court. You have to make your complaint to the information commissioner, which can often take months or years to resolve. And only then, generally speaking, can you go and make an application to the federal court. And even then, it's, it's quite slow. And you know, there have been limited examples of it being super effective. You, generally speaking, and I'm saying this very generally, people will disagree. You, generally speaking, do not have the right or the, the ability or the access to file suit against the federal government in this country to preserve your right to access. And in, in effect, it means our right is not really a right, it's a privilege. Many countries have systems that work more effectively than ours. And rather than trying to reinvent the wheel, one would think that we would be looking at examples elsewhere. And on the improving legislation, the fixing the broken act, third category that you identified, other countries seem to set very strict timelines when it comes to requests for extensions. And so in our context, we have the 30 days request, another 30 days request, in some cases, a virtually unlimited amount of time. We had proposed as a committee a number of years ago now that for extensions beyond 60 days, that it would then be up to an independent third party. In this case, the commissioner would have to approve that request. And that would hopefully address that culture of of delay in some cases. But do you have other suggestions for addressing that culture of delay? Well, what's funny is that, you know, I've obviously read uh, the report that that you and your committee produced at at, at ASIC. Uh, As I've read the report that was done, I think, seven years prior, as I read the report that was done five years prior to that, as I've read, so there, there is literally a mountain, there's a mountain of reports from the information commissioner, from third party groups, from the House of Commons committee, from the Senate committee. It is unbelievable the amount of research and the amount of recommendations that are out there just waiting to be fulfilled. And, but what's so offensive to me is that the government came in and did this consultation. Okay, fine. This government loves to do consultations. Fine, fair enough. Ignored vast, vast majority of actual recommendations it got from people who use the system. Amongst that is things you're talking about, actual enforcement of timelines, uh, reduction of overly broad exemptions, reduction on overclassification of material, so on and so forth. 
ignored all that, did their consultation, you know, ignored the consultation anyway, drew up legislation, ignored a lot of the recommendations that came from the committee, from the information commissioner, and so on, passed the law, and then now it's doing another round of consultations. It's, it, it's now up to the five-year mandatory review, and they're doing another bout of consultations and pretending like they don't know what needs to get done. I'm very sure, or at least I'm, you know, cynical me, I think the legislation that's going to come out next year or whenever is going to, again, just utterly fail to address the problems and, and, you know, central to which are these unbelievable delays. There's this old idiom of access delayed is access denied. And it's absolutely true. All too often, you know, you'll go and, and make a request for something I think that it's quite pertinent and important. You know, actually, I found a number of, rec- of requests around what was going on inside global affairs when the U.S. government killed General Soleimani, the Iranian IRGC commander. Uh, geez, it feels like a decade ago, but I guess it was earlier this year. And it would be really good to know. I mean, this is a really useful thing for reporters to understand and for help the public understand what the Canadian government does when you know crises mount overseas. Well, I'm not gonna get those, those, those records back until probably 2022. At that point, who cares? It, it has been so long forgotten. You know, and by that time, we probably have gone through two foreign affairs ministers, if not you know, two governments by that point. And it, it, it fundamentally has just lost all news value. The government counts on that. The government absolutely relies on the fact that it takes far too long for these documents to ever reach the public for them to really do any you know, damage or to really you know, elucidate what the government is thinking or doing on a specific file. Now, you know, this is also true in, in great respects when it comes to things like the SNC-Lavalin affair. You can, you can bet that there were dozens, if not hundreds, of access information requests filed around SNC-Lavalin. When will they ever be answered? You know, some of them, I think, some of the very, very simple ones have been responded to. I guarantee you many of them have not. You, know, you hear these horror stories. And and you know, I think the government often says, well, a big part of the reason these take so long is because they're so broad. You know, people ask for all this stuff. You know, I've made requests asking for emails between two different people over two different days. And I'll, I'll get extensions, you know, a year and a half or two years long. It shouldn't take that long to give me someone's emails. And even there, if, if the duty to assist were taken seriously, then an ATIP coordinator would come back to the person making the request and say, it's broad. It will take long because it's broad. Let me help you narrow your request to what you are actually yeah. looking for, and we'll get it to you in a shorter period of time. That that engagement would certainly solve some of that problem. I will say it does happen more than you think. I, I've dealt with some really great information uh, or, or ATIP analysts who in the departments will come to me and say, it actually just happened very, very recently. I made a request to uh, CSIS, you know, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, over um, all briefing notes mentioning a certain thing. And the, and I kind of thought maybe this will, you know, involve five or six documents, right? The analyst comes back and says, actually, this is going to correspond to about 2,000 pages of files. So I said, whoa, 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 thank you for telling me that's way too much. Let's figure out a way to scope this down so we can get it to a manageable size so you can get it back to me sometime this decade, right? So that does happen. Now, the problem is that even when your request only involves 40 or 50 pages, there's no ticking clock. So, you know, here's what happens if a department suddenly realizes it's going to go beyond a 30-day deadline, right? So the request comes in, the ATIP analyst goes, okay, I need to go get all of the emails from the technology division on these two days, right? So it goes to the division and says, folks, I need your emails about this one thing. And all of the staffers go, uh, 
we'll get it to you next week. So, okay, maybe the analyst comes back to me and says, we need, we need an extra 30 days. And I go, okay. And then no one does anything. And then six months later, I follow up and say, where are my emails? And then the ATIP analyst goes, well, we're working on it. And I say, do you have a timeline? And they go, no. I go, okay, I'll make a complaint. And then I go to the information commissioner. And the information commissioner in three months finally gets an, a, you know, an investigator assigned to it. The investigator goes to the department and says, where are the emails? And the department goes, oh, okay, we'll get them. And then they send them to me. You know, that is how the system works. And there's no consequences for anybody in this. Nobody gets reprimanded. There's no slap on the wrist. Even if the information commissioner writes up a, a finding that the department was negligent, who cares? There's, there's no consequences. This is just allowed to happen. And it's, it's being encouraged to happen. There is nothing being done to discourage this whatsoever. So there are some rule changes we, we'd recommended, for example, and I'm sure others have recommended when you go through the course of, of the history on this, but that exclusions be turned into exemptions so that there isn't this hard and fast, well, this is off the table, you can't request this, but there's no clear oversight as to whether that decision was acceptable or not. Now, the information commissioner in assessing exemptions, which in some cases, let's be honest, are necessary. There's all sorts of conversations that happen in the lead up to a decision that may well have to remain confidential. I mean, you can point to easy examples of national security, but even in ministers' offices, I mean, in the lead up to some decisions and weighing different options, you might not want to disclose all of those conversations. There are good reasons for exemptions, but then policing the exemptions requiring an independent authority is necessary. And if you don't staff that independent authority sufficiently, then you're, you are going to break the system. When I look at $350 billion in federal spending, obviously more this year, but pre-pandemic, $350 billion, and this office gets $16 million to do its job, and they're overrun with requests, and they keep pleading, you know, as politely and diplomatically as they can in testimony to committee and everything else. That seems that speeding up the enforcement side of things, to your point about consequences, that seems like a significant answer to the problem. Yes and no. Yes, insofar as departments regularly abuse these exemptions to the point where they can just disclose or not disclose whatever they want, whenever they feel like it. And I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, it's, mo- it's the most farcical and meta uh, request I've ever dealt with. But I, I asked for documents, actually not long after your government released Bill C-58, and they were just about to unveil the legislation. I actually requested all the internal briefing notes about the deliberations on what to do with the act. And obviously, the act gets introduced, months and months and months go by, my request is no longer timely whatsoever. Finally, they respond to it. And I start going through and the redactions are out of this world. At one point, there's a page that just says status of the Access to Information Act, and there are bullet points. And it's supposed to be an overview of just where the Access to Information Act is, and it's all redacted. And I'm sitting here, you know, a piece of paper that's supposed to explain to me what the state of the act is, is redacted. It's so down the rabbit hole and Kafkaesque, as you said earlier. So I, com- I, you know, I filed a complaint, and the information commissioner goes through and I think does some fighting and some jostling with Treasury Board Secretariat. And ultimately, none of that stuff gets disclosed. A, a header of another email is, is suddenly not redacted anymore, but otherwise the whole request is the same. I filed another complaint just for the hell of it. In the end, it turns out the department had, had redacted an email from the chair of your committee, actually, chair of the ethics committee, to the treasury board saying, thank you for bringing us in on the conversation. That was it. Top secret stuff. I know, right? This is the stuff that gets redacted. So yes, better enforcement would be great. More staff and resources to the information commissioner would be a big help. But here's 
the, the, the brass tacks of it, the exemptions are written. And, and this is not just me saying this. This was parliamentarians saying this, like literally the day the bill was introduced, the Original Access Information Act, the exemptions are written so comically wide that it, it's impossible to enforce them. Many government departments have almost unfettered ability, and it's still not really changed under the new law, unfettered ability to Glomar you. And, and Glomar is a weird US, I won't get into the history of it, but it's basically a response that lets you say, we're neither confirming or denying that the records you're seeking exist. And in Canada, they put a nice little spin on it. And they say, if they did exist, they would be exempt under Section 15.1a of the Access Information Act as being crucial for Canada's national security or part of an ongoing investigation. So very, very frequently, when you make any request of CSIS, the Canadian Board Services Agency, the RCMP, uh, Public Safety, a whole bunch of others, they just say, we hear your request, we're not going to answer it, and also we're not going to acknowledge that anything you want even is, exists. We're not even going to say that eight pages are being withheld because we're just not dealing with that at all. And the information commissioner, by and large, has not been able to pierce that defense. You know, there's other categories that say the government of Canada, I think it's under Section 19, can refuse to disclose anything that might be injurious to foreign relations, which ends up being anything about a foreign country. And what it also means is that these departments spend so much time redacting every fourth word that requests do end up, in some cases, taking 12 or 15 months to treat and to release. In some cases, people really are working around the clock, burning government taxpayer dollars, you know, redacting every mention of Donald Trump's tweets. It is so bizarre because you give them this wide latitude to redact everything. You know, it's also true that we don't ever really declassify anything in this country either. So if I make a request, actually, I think I have made this request, you make a request for the RCMP files on wonderful Cape Breton folk singer Rita McNeil, because she was under RCMP surveillance for some reason, they can actually say no. Even though the surveillance happened 50 years or 40 years ago, I think, it's still classified. We're never going to unclassify it. Check back in a, in a century or so. The government has almost unfettered ability to withhold information whenever it feels like it, and often doesn't really have to justify it to the information commissioner and can fight with the information commissioner to withhold it anyway. And if maybe one day you get to the court, they just get to say, well, look, the act is written very plainly. We get to withhold any information that's injurious to our foreign relations. So good night and good luck. The whole system is broken. And at the very least, in eras before now, departments and agencies and politicians were at least willing to try and make it work. Even if the letter of the law was really restrictive and secret, the spirit meant that departments and agencies would want to release information and would not overly apply those exemptions. That has changed. I think everyone agrees, everyone I've spoken to, I can tell you for sure in my experience, it's changed. The use and abuse of those exemptions has gotten absolutely out of control. And the line that I keep reading, but was certainly consistent with everything we heard, was culture of delay, culture of delay, culture of delay. And it's obviously legis legislative changes and funding. There are so many different answers that are necessary and have been litigated up and down. But addressing the culture of delay in a serious way is, I think, at the core of, of a lot of this. Oh, and it's also, you know, the app has also just not been updated to keep up with technology. In theory, and the information commissioner has said this, I believe, I should be able to get instant messages or Slack messages or Microsoft Workspaces messages or handwritten notes or text messages or BlackBerry pins. 
almost unfailingly, departments refuse to hand over that information. And we know, it's not hard to find out, that bureaucrats use those platforms to skirt the Access to Information Act. And I get it. If you're a bureaucrat, I get it. The Access to Information Act is a pain in the ass for you. I'm sorry, but it is important for our accountability and democratic process. Bureaucrats and civil servants know how to skirt the act. And the government does this thing where they say, well, you know, if we start making you know, ministers' emails accessible, then cabinet confidence is out the window and the society will fall and we'll never be able to keep a secret ever again, which is you know, not what we're suggesting. You know, I am a privacy nerd. I don't want civil service information being put out on the public record necessarily. I don't want every immigration application being just pumped out to the public. We can figure out ways where we can still protect people's privacy, where we can still protect sensitive information, where we can still protect cabinet confidence. But we also have a system where you know, there's a measure of accountability and transparency. The government has done a couple of steps to improve proactive disclosure, but it has been the most insignificant and minor and fraught and slow process that it does really make me question. It, it, it definitely makes you question whether or not they're serious about this, which I think they're not. But it also makes you question to some degree whether or not they, they can even corral all the departments to make changes. Even getting departments to publish lists of the briefing notes prepared for their minister every quarter has been like pulling teeth. It took years to get that done. There may well be significant pushback from the public service. Imagine promises from 2015 wouldn't be so welcomed by the overall bureaucracy. And not to sound, well, whatever, whatever, I'll sound like a taxpaying crank. They work for us. It's not surprising to me the civil service is resistant or skeptical of this. I get it. But the civil service and the bureaucracy is skeptical about everything that involves change. That is why we have politicians to go over them and say, too bad, we're doing it anyway. I love bureaucrats. Don't get me wrong. They're a very important counterweight to the impulse of politicians. But if we let them run the country, nothing would ever change, which is why I'm happy to come onto this show and ask you, as a politician, my God, do something about it. Because it really is going to take some level of political pushback. The public is not going to rise up and protest over a failure to fix the Access Information Act, nor should they. They have other things to worry about. Journalists are always uncomfortable asking for things from politicians. It is an awkward and unpleasant thing because we should not owe you anything. I get that. But here's me as a journalist begging to a politician, get caucus interested and engaged on this because you're going to find a spot eventually where you're not in government anymore. And when that happens, you're really going to appreciate an access information system that actually works and that keeps governments honest. And there could be a day when we have a government that looks awfully like the administration that's on its way out, probably, down south, that is actively hostile and oppositional against the right of freedom of of information. And that system is going to help keep them in check and keep them honest. If we don't have that system, it's going to be a whole lot easier to be corrupt in this country. I think that's right. That view that no political party is in office forever, and therefore it is incumbent on us not to put rules in place that make us comfortable when we are in office, but that ensures that there's a greater level of accountability regardless of who is in office. And if parties that come into office 
on commitments of transparency don't deliver on them. I worry too about trust in our democratic processes and, and where that all takes us in the end. And I, I worry also, I mean, not every party runs on promises to reform the access to information system. You're right when you say this isn't a doorstep issue as far as it goes. And so if you have parties that run on it and aren't able to deliver on it, it's all the more frustrating. And I'm glad you came on to explain some of the problems and to explain some of the personal stories. We heard Minister Haidu stand up and say, access to information isn't the top priority at the moment because we're dealing with a pandemic. And there was a motion before Parliament that was overly broad and David Naylor took it to task and I thought he was probably right. But the underlying, the core, the kernel of it that I appreciated and valued and why I was even thinking about voting in the first place was this push towards greater transparency and to say, it's not enough to say that you believe in it. You got to act like you believe in it. And so there's all that, but I mainly just wanted to listen to your rant. So I appreciate you. Yeah, good. I appreciate you joining me. <laughs> no, I'm happy to. I'm always happy to rant about access and information. It's my favorite thing to rant about. And I, I do hope that maybe someday I won't have as much occasion to rant anymore. <laughs> uh, one, one, one can dream, Justin. One can dream. Remember to subscribe for future episodes at uncommons.ca and please do leave a five-star review if you like what we're doing on your platform of choice.